Hey, welcome back everyone uh, with the Beyond the Dirt podcast. Uh, I got Hunter Slifka here and we got a special guest um, who actually uh, represents multiple facets of uh, the organization and um, Brian Herlechka. And thanks for coming on, Brian. Um, I think we'll start out with, uh, um, I think I should probably refer to him as Mr. Boss because Brian is actually our chairman commissioner um, here at the Howard SWCD. And um, if you just want to kind of touch as far as uh, what made you want to be a part of a commissioner aspect here, and then how did you get involved being the actual chairman? Yeah, pretty easy, Hunter. So I guess I uh, quick, quick background. I guess uh, I grew up uh, ten miles away from Cresco here, um, southwest big metropolis of Schley. I guess population thirty. So uh, longtime Cresco native, uh, high school here, uh, went to Iowa State, uh, majored in ag business and agronomy. Um, my goal was always to get back to the Cresco area here. So I had worked ag retail um, for a neighbor, neighboring cooperative for about eight years. And uh, back in 2018, I had the opportunity to uh, come to Cresco. And uh, something I said, as I said, I've wanted to get this way for a long time. So um, I planted a little more roots here locally. And that was about the time I joined the, uh, the board here. And uh, I remember getting approached, it was it was relatively new to me. I knew from being an agronomist and that side, I, I knew this side existed, I guess, but uh, I've always wanted to learn a little bit more, kind of the rhyme or reason as to why you guys promote what you do. Um, I always see it secondhand going on in the country, but it's nice to see that whole process from beginning to end now. So um, that was what intrigued me. So yeah, I joined the board back in 2018 and uh, I guess I became chairman here now two years now. So um, finally, finally getting the hang of everything. And uh, no, I enjoy it. So, And that's one thing whenever, um, and obviously I haven't been here as long as Neil has, but um, he made it pretty clear whenever you're looking for a commissioner, you're in the need of a commissioner that us as employees need to be the ones that really go out and do the promoting, do the recruiting and that sort of thing. Just like what we do with our interns because um, like you said, you, you are our boss, you are basically our person that we report to and stuff like that. And so we want to make sure that we have a person that, um, A, we trust, B, we know, um, have a lot of knowledge in the industry and what's going on. And then the third thing, which I think is most important is having interest and, and wanting to learn and want to more, learn more education aspect on what we do and how things operate here. Um, because there are a lot of moving parts and, um, you maybe don't have direct, um, authority is saying do this do that whatever it is but um, I think that's the the joy of it is it's kind of an off-the-cuff sort of deal where um, it's not like you're having to stand over us 24-7 but um, knowing that things are getting done at the office and stuff like that so um, I guess another thing with the commissioner deal um, is that you you live in the community you're working in the community and we we believe really important into the community involvement sort of things and stuff like that and obviously um, you're part of a lot of different boards, a lot of different organizations and stuff like that. Um, but how would you rank um, being a commissioner compared to some other things as far as level of importance? And you don't have to make us feel bad. It's not number one either. <laughs> no, so. no, that's a, that's a pretty easy one here. So I guess I actually, I'll talk a little bit about passion for agriculture. So uh, there was a time in my career where I pursued something different and uh, I thought I would attempt, it was a little bit more of a manufacturing role. And uh I tried that. I did that for about eight months and uh, 
to put it politely, it just wasn't for me. So uh, even when I was in that role, um, you know, I guess I spent the last decade or so uh, scouting fields, being involved in agriculture. And uh, as I left, I found myself, you know, even taking a lunch break. And uh, I was still getting calls from farmers and things like that. That just you, you build a relationship. You know, you work with these guys for 8, 10, 12 years, some of them now. And uh, so even on my lunch break, when I was pursuing something else, I was still out checking fields. Um, so I guess it comes down to just a passion for agriculture. So um, any way, shape, or form, yes, we all want community involvement. We all want local. But uh, lucky for me, I get to do that and involve, be involved with that passion for agriculture. So... Um, so I look at, I have some other family members. Yep. They're on the drift runners. Uh, all of our family, I guess you could say is involved some way, shape or form, but, uh, me, I get to roll everything into one, um, my agronomist career, um, yep, my agriculture and then, uh, community involvement. So it's a way to roll it all up into one. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. Um, I, I know some folks, they kind of get focused on what they want to do. They never explore any other things and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think it's really cool that you had the opportunity to go explore something different. Obviously, it, it's shown that this isn't for me. This isn't what I want to do. Um, and then geared you back to, to what you truly love and where your roots are and stuff like that. Um, and so then the next thing, um, obviously, if you guys can see it, Brian's got a, a Farmer's Wind oh, yeah. sweatshirt yeah, on. So that's kind of your, your other, um, I guess not other, but it is your full-time job um, working at Farmer's Wind. And so if you just want to kind of. Um, talk about what you do there and your roles and responsibilities and that sort of thing. Yep, so I guess you could say the title I prefer anyway is agronomist. Um, I take a lot of crap from farmers that, oh, you're a salesman or salesman this or you salesman bugging farmers. And I, I can't deny it. We are salesmen too. We sell seed, chemical, and fertilizer. But uh, agronomist is the term that I prefer. Um, I also obtained my CCA license, uh, Certified Crop Advisor. So um, just like these guys, there's continuing education every year. Uh, the way ag revolves, uh, you know, revolves at such a rapid pace here. But uh, yeah, so I'm an agronomist for Farmers Win. I work with, oh boy, it'd be hard for me to put a number on it. I probably talk to about 100 local growers. Um, I actively sell to, well, I suppose, 60 or 70 of them, I guess. Maybe that's irrelevant. But uh, a lot of local farmers here. So, um, you know, as an agronomist, we are supposed to be the brains, I guess, the, the, the backbone, have the insight. As there, there's rhyme or reason as to what we do and why we do it that way. It's no different than you guys in your line of work, I guess. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I work with, work with local farmers. Um, yes, I do sell seed, chemical, and fertilizer as well. But uh, like I said, agronomist is the term that I prefer. So I think what's really cool is... Um, People maybe refer to you as a salesperson. You might not like that term, and blah blah blah. But what I think is really cool is he's our he's our chairman commissioner um, of our SWCD here, and I truly believe that we are more at times salesmen as well rather than conservationists because we're out there we're trying to sell the program, push the program, and stuff like that. And to be a successful salesman, you got to be able to make that pitch and be able to um, yeah. kind of promote or show that person why that's the better option. And, I think that comes with about any job is you're always trying to sell a product. You're always trying to sell an idea or an item, whatever it may be. Or maybe it's not always a dollar amount figured to it, but you're always trying to push that person um, to that next level, whatever it may be. Um, and what's really fun is seeing that you're working with these local farmers. Um, and it's hard to put a number on it. Like you said, sometimes <laughs> you say 100, but once you start probably writing them down, it's probably there maybe might, two there, or three there, times there that. More. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is rather interesting the way the 
positions coincide with each other. So um, I'll use an example. Uh, that would have been last spring. Now, granted, this was in a neighboring county. Uh, this was actually further south, but uh, I had a grower call me, um, needed some brome grass, needed some alfalfa, and, he, and just over the phone, he was explaining to me that, well, you know, they had they have a big water run that a uh, couple hundred acres filter through, and he says we, you know, we have problems every year with. Um, just just washouts and drainage stuff he goes we're going to put some buffer strips in on both sides of this and i told him i says well before you do anything i says there's a program that that could probably help you with that and and, and i remember him kind of giving me a blank stare he said well you know we're it's springtime um this was in april and we had a window where you could do projects like that we weren't planting corner beans yet um you know guys were always looking at fixing tile and waterways and things like that so um anyways this was chickasaw county so uh, I says, well, call and check into it because he wanted to put a 60-foot buffer on both sides. And it just so happened they were actually having – Chickasaw County was having a meeting that next day. So, um, And I explained to him, I says, there's probably some criteria. You know, 60-foot widths was one we had talked about, uh, percentage of brown grass. And he says, that that's perfect. He says, we'll, we'll pretty much do anything. I says, well, there, there's some cost share with it. So he had called in Chickasaw County. Uh, they got it. Um, they got it drawn up, I think, that day or that afternoon, and it was approved at the next board meeting. And uh, here he was, 48 hours later, putting in a buffer strips along this waterway and uh, with a significant cost share, I guess. So uh, the, the positions, I guess, you know, uh, and that was a farm that I had, I've been on now for about eight years. And I have seen some extremes on there, what's, what some weather has done. I've been on it after four or five inch rainfall and uh, this last summer now, um, everything was established. They took a cutting or two off of it. And I was, I was looking at this and yeah, this, mm -hmm. I like this. I, I really liked it in this farm because um, the way it went through at an angle for my occupation, I guess, as far as scouting and getting in their late season, uh, looking at disease, uh, this waterway now opened up the whole farm for me so I can get to all these corners mm -hmm. and get to places that I normally had to work really hard to get to. And now I could take a four wheeler, get to the back 40 and uh, get back in there. So mm -hmm. um, it's something that I, I like in this position that I, I can see that for years to come, I guess. So Yeah. And I like how you're pointing out these examples. Um, when we first kind of talked about the Beyond the Dirt podcast, obviously we wanted to put it out there to help promote what programs we have, whether it's for the farmer listening to it, whether it's for other conservation professionals, or whether it's for anyone else there who may be listening to it. Um, and just understanding that a lot of times we get the bad model that the, the co-ops are working against us or they're not helping us or whatever it may be. And I think that mantra has really switched over in the last few years. Um, both like exactly what you're talking where now you're able to explain what programs may be available at least to go check it out. And then which I think and I would like to talk about a little more is the cover crop part of it. Um, maybe and you can probably explain it better but in my mind it seemed like say five years ago um, it maybe wasn't the best idea or the, the co-ops maybe didn't want to push it as much because they were nervous about yes. it. Maybe there were some extra costs to the farmer, this, that, whatever. But I think that's really changed now, and maybe you can explain your mentality behind all that also. Ab absolutely. Now, again, I can kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth here, but mm -hmm. in the end, we're going to get around to the same subject here. So um, cover crops, obviously, in our county have grown exponentially over the last few years, okay? Now, uh, when we first started promoting a lot of this, and, you know, we had a little bit probably even, oh, it's probably been seven, eight, nine years ago, we tried a little bit, um, things hit or miss, it seems like the last two, three years, it's just extreme, well, maybe even four years, extremely ramped up. So, from a co-op perspective, um, you know, it means starting that season a little bit earlier for us, 
Um, and remind me, I'll, I'll come back to that as far as terminating cover crops, at least my opinion on that. But, yeah. uh, you know, it means us starting our spring a little bit earlier because we, in a normal year, we have X amount of acres to get over. Well, when we have to make extra applications and terminate cover crops, it means getting over X plus Y. So, yes, there is a little bit more work involved for us. Um, you know, the airport, uh, most of our cover crops, well, it's probably closer to half and half that get applied aerial. We do a lot of aerial stuff over top of corn. Um, assuming we have a timely harvest on beans, um, you know, it means a little extra work uh, for us. We're always making that pass, I guess you could say, spreading fertilizer. So for... Uh, for the applications after beans are a little bit easier there. It's just a time, the way the calendar year and everything meshes. Uh, 2020, um, well, we could talk a few years about spring planting dates and stuff like that too. So uh, 2022, we had a lot of seed that didn't get put until mid-May. Mm -hmm. So um, there's there, there's times where, yes, cover crops can be a little frustrating from our perspective. Um, last year was, was maybe one of them. Um, you know, we had a lot of seed that we, we didn't start planting here till about you know, we had some guys get an early start on May 7th or May 8th. It wasn't very pretty at that time. We had some pretty cool soil temps. Uh, May 11th, 12th, 13th was probably the bulk of it. So, uh, mm -hmm. so and we didn't have favorable weather up until before that either. A lot of cool temps. So, um, you know, now we're trying to cram in an entire spring into a four-week period, and we still have term cover crops to work with. But uh, as long as we know ahead of time going into the season what we're dealing with, we, we can work around that. So, um the one thing I will say with cover crops, at least for my side of the desk, um, I do like to see growers terminate that cover crop earlier in the spring. So um, we have tried, I guess we've tried over the years too, you know, guys apply anhydrous in the spring, guys put urea out. We as a company do a lot of liquid fertilizer, 32%. So we have tried putting in our chemicals with 32% and terminating cover crops. We run into a lot of antagonism between the chemistries and the fertilizer and stuff like that. So, um, and then the other thing is that's getting done later and later in the season. So um, I like to see, you know, April 15th, April 20th, April 25th, um, to see a pass, an early pass uh, with just a glyphosate Roundup product. Um, and lucky for us, glyphosate has come down tremendously in price. Uh, a year ago, we were sitting here and yeah, we were kind of cursing at the whole marketplace, the, the, the COVID economy uh, shortages. Uh, logistics, it was a nightmare. Uh, Roundup, it's not rocket science, uh, Roundup went up 4x in price. So mm -hmm. I'm happy to say sitting here now that that has come down in half uh, right now. And actually that market probably continues to soften a little bit here. So uh, terminating the cover crop is going to be a lot cheaper in 2023 than what it would have cost you in 2022. So um, my vote is just get out there early, make that separate application. Um, too many times we've tried doing it with fertilizer kind of gotten a, a halfway's kill with it. Um, and then, then you have crops that are V4, V5, V6, and you're still kind of fighting them cover crops, I guess. So um, my two cents would be to just make an early pass and, and take care of it that way. So yeah, I, it's pretty obvious, especially here in the state of Iowa, the challenges we run into. I mean, up here in Northern Iowa, we have a completely different climate. And <laughs> as soon as you cross probably highway 20 and then 20. from 20 to 80 is a whole nother climate and 80 south is completely different it's, so it, it's always interesting because as i take drives um you know the, during the winter sometime february and march will get away and yeah you get into illinois and you get the southern parts of illinois and cover crops just plastered and, and yeah. the cover crops are extremely established they're 12 16 18 inches tall and it's it looks absolutely beautiful mm -hmm. so 
uh, one thing with us in Northeast Iowa, yes, we have that shorter season. Um, a lot of times, yeah, we can't get in and spray these off until late April at best. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, there's years when we've had snow in late April up here, but uh, no, that's where we're trying to get to, I guess. Uh, the, one, the, the one way we can do that is though the aerial application and getting over the crops, um, you know, late August, things like that. So uh, we have an airport right here in Cresco. We're very fortunate for that. Actually, we are kind of, Cresco's kind of a hub for uh, our Farmers Wing Cooperative. We apply the, the bulk of our cover crops out of, out of Cresco here. So uh, we got planes going 20, 30 miles in both directions mm -hmm. to cover acres. So and one thing, uh, we've kind of mentioned it too at different meetings and talking with other uh, project coordinators and conservation professionals and stuff is um, trying to get to that grade A plus <coughs> cover crop regimen. And I know you're probably never going to get there and every single year is going to be different, but if we can get to that A plus, which what we would consider is getting that, like you said, the Illinois 12 to 18 inches yes. of total growth, and then being able to, instead of having to apply a herbicide, to be able to do like the roller crimping. Yes. Um, but we live up here in northern Iowa. It's hard to get stuff on. You never know with rain. You never know with temps in the fall. And then we come into the spring, and it could be mid-May before we're able to get in there at years. And so getting that cr that crop as tall as we'd like it to be able to then roller crimp it is, is sometimes impossible yep. or a very big challenge. So um, we make do. We do the best we can. But... Um, and every year is going to be a little bit different. That's why some of the programs we've talked about multiple times, the Equip and CSP committing those guys to the three to five years, so it really commits those guys to really buy into the aspect. And if they do have one bad year, they can try to make a few tweaks and, and, and work around it, like you said. So, But on your end of it, I don't know how that would, um, as far as pulling hair out, making things work, how does that, um, when you see a guy that comes in and he says, hey, I got this Equip application, Equip contract with NRCS, I have to do it for five years, and he's got just a god-awful year with it. What's kind of your steps as far as trying to get him turned around on the right foot? Well, you, 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 brought, up, you brought up a good point, Hunter. You know, three to five years with that equip, and I agree 100% because we've had, yes, springs that have been tough in cover crops. This last year, 22, with we couldn't get out there till mid-May. Uh, and then, of course, at that time, Mr. Farmer, he wants to plant, he wants to spray fertilize, he wants this, this, and this. Well, in a lot of cases, we have to terminate this cover crop first. So, um, you know, now I will say, let's go back to uh, 2019 and 2020. 2020 was absolutely beautiful. Uh, 2020, we were out there in the spring. I remember making some cover, or spraying off some cover, April 5th, April 8th, mm -hmm. April 10th. Uh, we even had a couple guys planting some early beans mm -hmm. in early April, things like that. You know, so on a year like that, it, you have them conversations with growers that, yes, 2022 might have been frustrating. Um, 2021, I believe, was a pretty par spring. Uh, we actually, yeah, we did do a lot of early uh, mm -hmm. April 10th, April 15th applications and stuff like that. So it, it's just like anything else, you take the good with the bad. Um, uh, we also had a frost one year that set back a lot of things, too. Uh, mm -hmm. That would have been in 2021. So um, you, you remind growers with anything, there's 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 some risk involved. But, uh, yeah, uh, spring of 2020, we were out. Um, you know, growers at that time, it's, it was beautiful conditions on April 10th, April 12th. Uh, however, we couldn't plant. A lot of it was crop insurance, cutoff dates. You can't plant anything too early up here. So... Um, you know, they couldn't plant a uh, beautiful time to terminate cover crops and uh, get started for the season. So yeah. I remember that 2020 season very, very easily because that was kind of our first banner year as far as getting some of our specially equipped pots of money funded. And so there's a lot of acres that got put out. We had a great fall, a great spring, and we had multiple people coming to us, 
mainly from the public, not necessarily the farmers. They knew what it was, but wondering if there was a lot of pasture acres getting planted because a lot of these fields were just <laughs> solid green. They looked like a golf course. If you would have gone out there and mown them, it would have looked just absolutely beautiful. So, like you said, you have some really great years. You have some really bad years and stuff like that. But um, nonetheless, that's why you, um, on our side of things, the best thing you can do is have a good working relationship with that farmer and with that agronomist, um, the different co-ops, so that you understand the pros and cons, what they're working with. Make sure they understand what we're working with as profession, conservation professionals so that everyone's on the same page because the more communication that can go in between each other, um, the more learning experiences there are, um, hopefully the more knowledge you can get and put yourself on the right foot. So, um, yeah, by, by all means, do yourself a favor and, and, and work with your local cooperative or ag retailer. Make them aware of them cover crops. It never fails every year. There's stuff that we, you know, for example, if a grower decided to drill something in after his beans, you know, if we're not aware of it throughout the winter season, then all of a sudden we just get phone calls on, you know, May 15th, hey, we need to take care of this and that. I, you know, we'll do it, don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, we like to know and be proactive and, and mm -hmm. be on top of things. Well, and as far as a, a cost or price aspect, too, I'm going to assume the more seed you can buy in bulk, probably the cheaper it's going to be Absolutely. for that farmer. And so um, that's probably one of the number one questions when we're working with farmers and we can present them with an equip application or contract and say, hey, this is how much you're going to get. Normally, the first question they're going to ask is, how much is it going to cost me? Yeah. And if you don't have that number dialed in or you don't know what the different seed costs are going to cost, plus the application, you're really sending that guy in blind or that person in blind. It's not really fair to them. It's not fair to yourself. So um, do just that extra little bit. to. I mean, it's as simple as a quick phone call most times and asking yep. what these different ones are and stuff like that. Yeah, just, just like anything else in this economy, things, things fluctuate. They fluctuate on our end too. Um, even with the, <coughs> excuse me, South Dakota having some dry years, uh, rye seed has been done pretty tight over the years. So, um, yes, just coordinate things with everyone So uh, and, and be proactive. That's my two cents. Yeah, so then um, <coughs> you mentioned the North Dakota, South Dakota thing last year. Um, that was something that we actually started to deal with um, as far as both the sh seed shortage and application. Um, we started to explore some different options as far as seeding, um, as far as winter hardy mainly. Um, and being that it's getting hard to put on with the drill, the aerials, one thing, yeah. they wanted to explore some different options. And the subject of winter camelina came up for us. Yes. Um, if you want to kind of go through that as far as what you think about it, what's good, what's bad, what we need yep. to look forward to. Yep. Winter camelina was, uh, for me, a, a blessing. I was really glad to see that on there. So uh, for a couple of reasons here. Uh, first off, I use winter camelina on my own farm. So. I applied a cover crop, and the reason I liked that was because of the, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a November 1st. Yep. <laughs> cutoff date. <clears throat> yep. So we had up until November 1st to get that applied, so uh, which matches the rye timing. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of growers, uh, following a soybean crop, assuming you planted at a decent time, you know, even in this year, we were questioning it at one time because we knew a lot of these beans didn't get put in until even May 15th, 18th, 20th, um, is everything going to be harvested in time to get this winter camelina out there? Um, because a ground application is a lot cheaper than aerial. So uh, to be able to qualify for equip, uh, have a multi-species cover crop, and to be able to apply it with fertilizer by ground, uh, it was it a win-win-win all the way across mm -hmm. the board. So, um, But I can tell you, uh, last year, um, even with the late planting, boy, 
we got everything applied, knock on wood, I guess. So, um, you know, the same thing from my side of the desk. I had a list of growers, um, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 growers that I knew were that we were going to put winter camelina in that mix. Uh, we had it all ordered. Uh, the only downfall I would say to winter camelina is uh, it is a very, very fine seed. Mm -hmm. It's very tough to work with. So I do know our guys um, in our fertilizer plant, uh, we were just careful in that mixing process. Uh, we tried to handle it uh, as little as possible. We didn't want that seed sifting through anyway. So uh, winter camelina, it's actually even more fine than like an alfalfa seed is. Wow. So. Um, so yeah, we, we made it work. We were just careful. Uh, in a couple cases, we did double spread some fields too, just to make sure we were getting good patterns and weren't going to have any skips or anything like that. So, uh, but yes, the the four equip, at least my go to yes would would be the rye and the winter camelina. So good. That's something that we really look forward to. Uh, one thing, and I'm by no means an expert on this end of it, but as far as determination. What's your experience has been with that winter camelina, good, bad, and different? Well, and I'll actually tell you, the winter camelina, we really jumped in here last year, so I might be able to answer that a little bit better mm -hmm. here in a few weeks, I guess. Yep. So uh, all that I know is it, it didn't really alter our chemical plants. Um, you know, we're gonna go, you can make that spring pass pretty cheap now. I'll use just some generic numbers, but um, you know, like I said, with Roundup being half price of what it was last year, um, between the Roundup, we throw some some water softener, some ammonium sulfate in there, and uh, you know at that point in time we can do a pre-spraying. We don't have to worry about following rows or anything like that. We have nice sprayers and shut offs and things like that. So, um, you know, around fifteen dollars, you can make that early pass and terminate mm -hmm. that cutter crop. So, when we see equip numbers, sixties, you know, something like yeah. that. I mean, so, it really depends in this last. Um, batch of guys or farmers we've been getting in depending on what pot of money and what you're pairing it with But we've seen all the way up to $82 an acre. I say you you can talk a little bit more on so, numbers So I just um, I had seen some around 64 65 So when we look at the costs of putting a cover crop out there in the fall um, And even at that even at those numbers even if you do have to aerial apply it, it It's it still makes a lot of sense. So even the aerial application getting the cover crop out there and with an early spring termination there's still very attractive numbers I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yep. And then the next thing with the winter camelina which we did a little bit of exploring with and it sounds like this next fall could be a lot of fun is the drones. Yes. Um, and so I know we got a couple folks here in the county that are already doing that um, looking to expand looking to continue that um, but as far as your experiences with the drones what have they been? Um, I know they've done a lot of chemical application for you guys as far as like yep. fungicide and stuff um, but how do you uh, how do you like it? How do you look forward to it in the future? So our company, we do own, <coughs> we do own and operate a few drones within the company. Um, and you will get, you will get some mixed, mixed opinions on this. And what a lot of that is, is it's going to be by territory. So north to south. So um, as we go from where we're at, we're kind of on the border here in Presco because our southern locations, southern and western, um, operate completely different fields than what we do up north. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we have some locations into a Houston, Minnesota, Rushford, Minnesota, those guys up there, um, drones are the, are the golden ticket because we can't get helicopters into some of these places. We air, Airplanes are a definite no. Mm -hmm. uh, as a rule of thumb, an airplane has to fly about 150 miles an hour just to stay afloat. So uh, airplanes are hard no. Helicopters, we, we worked with helicopters for a long time, um, but even then, it, it, it's risky, uh, mm -hmm. just like anything. Uh, those guys are a different breed to in my opinion mm -hmm. some great great pilots but my word it's risky so 
um, the drone applications as you go further north and east are going to become a bigger and bigger deal. Uh, south and west, you know, we have big fields down here. There, there's a lot of 80s and 160s, which is beautiful for our territory. So um, the planes still kind of have the, the advantage down there just for covering acres. But uh, I know we have looked at purchasing more going forward. Um, and just like anything else, it's, it's the manpower to run it and yeah. stuff like that. So, but uh, yeah, there's farms this year, and I'll use an example, at least on, on the fungicide side of things. There's farms up there that we could never get to before, never apply. You know, fungicide was a big, big ticket for us last year. Uh, 30, 40, 50 bushel responses. So, mm -hmm. so by having those drones and the capabilities to do that. Um, the other thing is those drones are expensive, like mm -hmm. anything else. The longer window, the more we can do with them, the, the, the more profitable we can be and, yep. and the more we can assist everyone else. So uh, with that cover crop season, it, it's ironic that fungicide season about ends. Um, that corn gets into that uh, brown silk stage. Um, you know, once everything is pollinated, where those drones would normally be shut down, put away for the season, mm -hmm. you know, now we can turn around and use these things for another month. Uh, get cover crops out so. yeah and that's what we really look forward <laughs> to is especially with those non-winter hardy species the radishes the turnips that sort yes. of thing those drones obviously aren't able to hold as much as an airplane they're able to hold that 50 to 60 pounds probably max correct yeah yeah i think that may be on the high side too but yeah that's and so they're not able to do <clears throat> near amount of acres what an airplane can do at times but being a non-winter hardy species or the winter camelina, we're only looking at what two to six to two to eight pounds per acre. I was gonna say I, I think the and don't quote me kids on this because we had some 75 25s and that 25 percent was one pound so yeah four four pounds um mm -hmm. even look at some of the clovers and things like that around six pounds per acre mm -hmm. six to eight and stuff like that so for us to utilize those drones for another month of the year it's oh absolutely it's a blessing yes absolutely absolutely <clears throat> and then the other thing too is um, I mean, everyone likes to talk about the coverage and stuff like that. They don't like to see their chemical getting put on an opposite field or the, the cover crop seed going on an opposite field. And with those drones, they're really pretty precision as far as getting it on where they need to be. Absolutely. So, you know, we talked, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit earlier about terminating cover crops. And we talked a lot about applying cover crops over bean stubble. Um, the one thing I will bring up is uh, we talk about making that extra application, okay? For the most part, that's only being done ahead of corn acres. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a lot of these guys know tilling beans, and if we want to get involved in the chemical, chemistry, and chemical families, and things like that, uh, for the most part, guys know tilling, we're already making that burn down application. So mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go back even a little bit further. We talked about getting into that three year and five year program. Okay, so when you're looking at cover crops and when you're looking at uh, aerial application in the fall and early termination in the spring, um, ahead of the corn acre that number might be a, a bigger cost mm -hmm. okay yep. when you're factoring that cover crop though <clears throat> ahead of a soybean crop um there's really no chemical there's really no additional chemical costs mm -hmm. so um agronomically you know you look at chemical modes of actions uh once a bean plant is emerged there's there's a lot less chemical families that we can use so around 90 percent of our territory um you know is, is using a pre-emerged chemical on beans so and, and by that there, there's chemical families that you can apply to those acres before the soybeans are emerged up so um and most of those yep in a no-till situation we already have you know a roundup uh, or a 2,4-D or a dicamba so you know one of those chemical families in there so really ahead of a bean crop there is 
no additional costs mm -hmm. for that, that application, assuming you're doing a two-pass beam program, like mm -hmm. I said. But Being we're still talking termination and a little bit of drones and stuff, do you foresee the possibility or the opportunity to use those drones or even airplanes to terminate that cover crop after getting the corn or bean plant in the ground? We have. We have discussed that. We've actually spoke with some of our aerial companies about that as well, about coming back in the spring. The problem with that is these pilots are few and far between. Mm -hmm. okay. And when you look at the United States as a whole, uh, we actually have a, a helicopter company. Uh, but in the springtime, they're aerial applying a bunch of fertilizer um, in the Carolinas. Um, you know, the, these companies also, one of them, they spray on some Christmas trees, farms down in Florida. They spray some national forests in California. So um, it's just hard working with those aerial companies. Now, the drone thing, that's a different story because having that in-house and mm -hmm. stuff. So, um, yes, I do foresee going forward. We will start to play around with that a little bit as custom applicators become tougher and tougher to hire. Yeah. It, it, it's a competitive world out there. So. Well, and like we always say, too, as far as construction season goes we definitely would rather be up against frost or freeze up rather than a farmer on a planter yes. <laughs> and i'm sure you guys are in the same boat as far as getting the herbicides out there and the chemicals i can't say i've heard it that way but i will agree 100 yeah. percent because uh everyone's tension in the springtime is is, is rather high so yes. uh, the more we can take care of in the fall and be proactive the, the better off we are in the spring yep yes. and i know that's probably one of the the bigger concerns that some of the folks up here have as far as getting that cover crop terminated and and not allowing that cover crop to get too tall because then it gets a little bit tougher with the chemicals and stuff like that um, is that we have a very short window like we've already talked about as far as the perfect temps to get that stuff killed off so yeah. um, looking for that's something we can keep trying to modify and change and that's what makes the beauty of of your job and our job working together is that we get to play around with those different ideas and we don't have to do it over over 30,000 acres or whatever it can to. be done on a little bit here a little bit there so we've talked about the commissioner role. We've talked about your work role. Probably the, the most fun that you get to do is farm <laughs> yourself. And so yeah. Brian is a local farmer here in Howard County. Um, he operates a few different farms, both um, in the Turkey River watershed and outside of it and stuff like that. And so um, kind of talk us through how long you've been farming, what you look for, do the pros and cons, yeah. and all, all the above of yeah. it. So let yeah. it rip. So I had graduated from Iowa State in 2011. So uh, 2011 would have been my first year actively farming. So, um, and I, I just a few hundred acres. It's it's family stuff here, but I have to laugh a little bit because uh, the difference in families. So my father-in-law um, owns a piece of dirt here, a little bit closer to town, which would be in this Turkey River watershed, and uh, and then my own dad. Uh, we have a farm a little bit closer to Lourdes, a um, little better, a little blacker dirt, a little flatter country. But um, the difference in and both my father-in-law and dad are almost identical in age. But uh, the difference in the two operations, I, I have to laugh a little bit from my side of the desk mm -hmm. because uh, my dad can be known to be a little bit old school, okay? If it was up to him, I think we'd still be more board plowing and, and chiseling in the fall and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I have a father-in-law who is 100% for conservation, a big no-tiller. Uh, actually, when I took over his farm, that was a big stipulation. We had to continue no-till. Um, he was unaware of cover crops, I guess. So that was something that I, I brought in now. So that farm, I would say, is 100% up to speed with, with where I would like it to be. Um, I do a crop share with my dad, actually. So, uh, you know, I don't want to piss him off either, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's we've gone to a little bit more of a minimal till. I, I can't get him to quite make that cover crop jump yet, but that's something mm -hmm. to have in the meantime. So, so, yeah, I do operate a few hundred acres of my own, which uh, 
I feel helps me helps me extremely in my position because uh, when I'm out there working with other farmers, uh, anytime I can bring up, you know, hey, I do this on my farm or, or you know, again, we get that salesman. Oh, you're just a salesman. You're trying mm-hmm. to sell me this. Other, you're trying to sell me a fundicide. And, uh, you know, well, if I can have that conversation, hey, here's what I did on my farm. Um, last year, um, I left a check strip for fundicide. And uh, it was a 28 bushel difference. I took my drone up, took all the pictures in the world. You could see it right down to the row. And uh, so now when anybody wanted to argue with me this winter, oh, is, is fundicide going to pay? Is this something we should do? You know, I can have that conversation. Hey, Here's what I do on my own farm. Here's why I do it. And I have my own skin in the game, so to speak. Uh, you can have those conversations. You can have marketing conversations. It's We're not just a salesman at that point. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, between between being an agronomist, um, soil and water board, and then uh, farming myself, it's uh, I get the, the whole trifecta. So. Yeah. so that intrigued me. A lot of different questions popped in my head. Obviously, you got two completely different facets that you're working with. How do those conversations look when you're talking with your own father as far as <laughs> trying to convert or trying to make small changes yep. towards where you are with the other operations? So um, so the big one we did, my dad also has some cattle anyways. And uh, kind of like I had talked about earlier about that, that grower uh, we were putting in the headland buffer program there, but I knew about that program because I implemented that on my own farm. So um, on dad's farm, we have about a 20 acre chunk of timber and uh, every year, you know, my dad, he wants to farm every square inch of this thing we can. So what are we doing? We're smashing up equipment going along these trees every single year. And uh, some of it's on the north side. It's a tighter clay. It's a wetter soil. There, 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 there's tile problems. It's just a mess. You know, I look at from my side of the desk what we're spending on a per acre for inputs. Yeah. Um, just last year, you could talk fertilizer alone. Uh, $250, $260 an acre is probably just a maintenance program for a corn acre right now. So um, throw throw seed, throw chemical, throw fungicide, throw the crop insurance, all the inputs on top of it, even excluding land, you're six, $700 an acre. So I got to sit down with dad and have a conversation. Hey, we're putting six, $700 an acre along this timber here of inputs. And every year this corn is waist high. Uh, deer are coming out, taking it. I says, hey, I says, you need hay. You, you need you need roughage for your cattle and stuff. I says, let's look at this headland buffer program. So uh, we ended up putting in, uh, in this case, we did 40 foot just to match planter stuff, but uh, along the road, um, so we could access things a lot better, getting trucks in and out. So we went along the road, went along the timber, and then on, on the north end of the farm, uh, just from, God, I'm trying to think how long, well, it's a century farm on the other side of the road. So let's just say 30, 40 years of headland compaction, pulling the same wagon, same tractors, in and out, same thing, a real tight clay soil, compacted garbage almost for that matter, I want to call it. So we put the headland buffer in along on that side. So um, so now it's a win-win. He's got roughage for his cattle. Um, we're not spending six, $700 an acre on ground that isn't going to give us an, an ROI. So uh, we've incorporated the, the headland buffers. Uh, we've gone to a lot more minimal till. Um, I, my dad would still just just love to see a disc chisel going through out there. So um, we actually this last year it's baby steps here because this has been a couple couple year deal. So uh, we have a neighbor that has a, a vertical till machine. So I can't get him to a true no till, but I do have him down to a vertical till. You know we're a rotated acre, so uh, um, I have him down to a vertical till program. My father in law, yes, I have his farm no tilled and cover crops and everything like that. So. 
slowly but surely we're gonna get them on the same page. It just it, it's just taking a little bit of time. So yeah. and that's like anything else. I mean, we work with a lot of folks like that too. That it's the small baby steps. It's starting off that state <clears throat> cost year. Do it the one year. Maybe even do a non-winter hardy species so they don't have to worry about the, the termination in the spring and that sort of thing. And then they get one experience. They start talking to some other farmers, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're doing a single species. Next thing you know, they're doing multi-species, and they're no-till and putting buffer strips in and just kind of really spurs from there. So my my dad is, again, it's a crop share deal. So what is he looking at? He's looking at yield at the end of the year, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, I have brought this up to my dad, you know. Um, you know, I look back at his crop insurance and, and before I started farming and things like that. And, and don't get me wrong, great yields and everything like that. But uh, the last three years have been three years of record yields getting pulled off this farm. So I can have a conversation with dad. I said, you know, hey, and granted, weather-wise, we, we've had some good years. Maybe it's a two-way deal, but uh, you know, hey, Dad, we've implemented, we've gone to vertical till, uh, we've taken off some of that marginal ground, um, and we're continuing to, uh, you know, get some 230, 240 bushel corn yields, which mm -hmm. for up here is, is, is yeah, about as good as we can grow. So, um, so uh, I can have that conversation. Yes, we've gone to minimal till, and we've maintained these yields. Uh, I have even taken my dad for a trip around the country. Uh, in the springtime like this. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I like to do it when the snow is still in the ditches because you can learn a lot by looking looking at tillage practices and looking at the snowfall in the ditch. So uh, it was it was about two years ago, we made a big, we made a 20, 30 mile loop in February. And we went and drove around and looked at the fields that had been no-tilled, minimal-tilled, vertical-tilled, and just took mental observations of what these road ditches looked like, mm -hmm. what these snowbanks looked like. Um, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not criticizing the guys that are conventional till. You know, there's there's a rhyme or reason behind some of it and stuff. But uh, there's strong correlation between black dirt, topsoil in the ditches, and, you know, rough tilled fields. Yep, absolutely, so, absolutely. And then the next thing, too, that I think is really important, you talked about going out when there's still snow on the ground. But one of my most or probably favorite times to go out is after maybe right after planting or once that snow is gone and we get a good rainfall but yeah. there's no frost or frozen ground you'll see exactly which <laughs> fields did some no-till or cover crops because there's not much if any water standing at all you go to the next field that could be right across the fence that's been beat up or been tilled or whatever it may be and there's water standing it's slicker than snot out there you can't get around or nothing yeah and, and i get to see that on it like i said i work with let's say 60 70 farmers and a few farms a piece and stuff like that mm -hmm. so um, my springtime, uh, yes, I'm involved a lot in operations, uh, getting sprayers where they need to and sprayers. So as a rule of thumb, take a, a June day, you know, I will go to the office in the morning. I will get everybody a list of fields to spray and orders and what direction, kind of get the logistics going, get everybody going in the different directions. But then, uh, let's see, you know, eight, nine, 10 o'clock by the time everybody's down and gone, um, they're good for the day. I will spend the next six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours scouting fields. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, I get to see farms that had a cover crop applied that we terminated in the spring and how this stuff's coming up and the differences. Um, I've been out after some big rainfall events and things like that. I've been out in the country during big rainfall events and uh, seeing the way the water moves through some of these farms and fields the, and the way they're managed differently. Um, yeah, I get to see a lot from my side yeah. of the desk. So that's where the uh, the rainfall simulator that NRCS has. Um, you see both sides. You see a lot of jaws that hit the ground because they can't believe what's going on or what <laughs> happened and how it's even possible. 
And then the other aspect of it, you have people who call it a liar. They say, oh, that's not true. That, <laughs> and they just will not believe it for whatever life of them. That'd probably be my dad, by the way. Oh. And that's, you, you could put it right in front of them. It's, yeah, yep. it's a that, That's just what it takes. All people are different. They all have different mindsets or whatever. Um, one thing I want to come back to real quick is the ROI, the return on investment. Um, you mentioned how much you were having in inputs and what you're making out of it and wasn't penciling out and sort of things like that. And um, we have that conversation a lot, even whether crops are $8 corn or $2 corn. Um, we refer to it with the CRP because um, it doesn't matter what that price is, whether it's high or low, those input costs are going to follow along with that pretty closely. And if you can really see what you're truly making per acre and then compare that what you could be making on a 10-year average or 15 average with CRP, um, that's usually where we start to sell as much CRP, whether it's a high year or a low year. Yeah, I in uh, over the years, actually, there was a spreadsheet that I built back when I was at Iowa State in 2009, <laughs> and I've shared this with growers. I probably do this every single week. Uh, different grower, there's about 10 different 10 different lines that we can input there, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's unreal because some of these there's some growers that just don't know exactly what's going into that per mm-hmm. acre. Uh, we had talked about fertilizer. Let's go back to 2020. Um, you know, I'll look at uh, nitrogen, you know, was around that 40 cents per unit of nitrogen, all mm-hmm. sources, um, you know, and for a while there, we got, we had UAN knocking on 85, 90 cents per unit. So um, a two, two and a half X in fertilizer prices over the years. So uh, where guys used to spend back in 2020, $100 an acre would give you everything you needed to maintain your fertilizer program. Yeah, we were knocking on here just for this last prepaid season around 250. So uh, by putting that into that spreadsheet line by line, um, and for the most part, just just leave land out of it. Okay, mm-hmm. assume they own it. You know, the other thing, there's different land rents in there. There's quite the array of, of land rents. Mm-hmm. So we leave land just out of it, and uh, actually that spreadsheet calculates it into a, a, a profit. Or sorry, well, there's a couple different ways it breaks it down. One of them it'll tell you is at at that yield what you need for a price but vice versa at that price what you need for a yield mm-hmm. so then some of these guys are looking at without land you need even a lot of kids 100 let's say 100 120 120 bushel per acre um mm-hmm. you throw land in there you get 140 some bigger numbers stuff like that and then i'll use back to my dad's situation you got the tree line there you got shades it, it's always wet in there um in fact a couple of years we had to pull the planter out and come back a week or two later and try to plant mm-hmm. this stuff and then come come harvest time, we're not even combating a hundred bushel corn along this tree line stuff. Okay, there, there's better ways of doing this. So um, that's the, the the ROI and putting the dollars and cents behind it is, mm-hmm. is big. Yes, and that's one thing I know. We go to a lot of um, different conferences and stuff for work and whatever, and we try to promote these programs and trying to say this is why it's better, this is why it's better, this is why it's better. But truly, at the end of the day, you got to make that that bottom number pencil out, and that farmer's got to be able to have a, a healthy living and, and get to that next year, get to that next day, um, be able to pass something down to their family, support a family, um, yep. and that's truly what it needs to come down. And as a conservation professional, we need to understand that we need to work through that with them. And it's not just oh yeah, well I have two hundred forty bushel corn and um, corn selling at this price or whatever. It's not just that. It's what's going into it and what you're truly spending. Um, and then what we're able to put on top of things to maybe help sweeten that pot. Yeah, and that's where I think our equip cover crops and stuff, with such a high payment incentive right now, um, farmers are making money on equip at it's, the moment. You you said it. I wanted to say it earlier, but it, it, it is a profitable deal with the way some of these, the glyphosate, the Roundup has come down in price. Now, 
a lot of you guys, if you guys hear that, you might argue with me because there's a lot of other chemicals and a lot of other chemical chemical families that continue to be tied. So when you're when you're looking at your whole chemical program, I can probably tell you it's it's going to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. So and, and when you look at an acre of corn, acre of beans, yes, that has, but to terminate that cover crop, that I can tell you has gotten cheaper. So mm -hmm. um, and then you look at the different methods of getting it applied in the fall. Um, there, there's a lot of ways to make that profitable for you. Absolutely. Yes. And then um, one of the conversations we've had with a lot of folks that have been doing the cover crops or the no-till, whatever it may be, for multiple years is they're even happy if they break even. And sometimes if they're losing just a little bit of money on that total application, they're okay with that they're because they're seeing the it. benefits, yeah. um, whether it's increasing their yields, the soil health benefits, whatever their morals maybe sometimes are, they can take yeah. that dollar amount off it a little bit. Um, and justify putting that out there. Yeah, I look at you know driving around the country in the springtime and just seeing green. Mm -hmm. That that's what I like to see. So uh, you know, like I said, our falls can be kind of a hit or miss as to how this gets established. We're not we're not Southern Illinois. We're not going to get 10, 12 inches of growth on the stuff in the fall. But uh, it's to to see green in the springtime and know that there's an active growing crop. And like I said, even last year, where a lot of times we didn't get in until May 15th, May 20th, well, this cover crop's been active out here now mm -hmm. for almost 60 days. Yep. So um, that's what I like to see in the springtime. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked on a lot of different things. Hopefully you pulled your notepad out because we threw a lot of numbers at you guys. Um, but that's just kind of the nature of it and what we get to deal with every single day because um, that's truly, I mean, I can think on a day-to-day -day basis, yes, it's it's different every day, but it seems like every single day I got a calculator and hand crunching numbers and trying to make things work, whether it's reporting, whether it's prices, whether it's what that farmer could be getting, whatever it may be. So um, hopefully there's a few high school students out there listening that are going, I just hate math. And it's like, well... You're get get be, used to it. Get yep. used to it. You're, you're going to be needing it. You're going to want it. Yep. You're going to have to be starting to put some alphabet soup in there too as far as X, Y, and Z. So yeah, um, take it seriously. But um, before we sign off, I got a couple different things. Just want to kind of recap. Um, what do you look forward to most as far as working when you got your, your farming, you got the co-op, yeah. and you got the commission? One sentence, what is the best thing about all well, that put together? for me, and a lot of guys laugh, farming is my vacation. You know, and even in the springtime, I get a little busy at work. I have to hire some stuff custom done. But uh, at the end of the day, if I can go home and be around my farm and run equipment, that that's what I look forward to the most. Too. Yeah, same thing. Um, and then I got some a question. I'll just do one. It's a it's a kind of a multi-answer question. And we'll see how well Brian has listened to prior podcasts. I've done some homework. Okay. How many conservators? How many CRP practices can you list with? The component code with it. Oh my gosh, I I don't even know if I'd know where to you're like the acronyms and all that. Yeah, That's so like uh, I'll I'll give you an easy one. So like a, a the CRP practice would be a, like a grass water row. A grass water row is a CP8A <sighs> grass water row. Yeah, uh, you know we see a lot of CP25s, the CP25s and the 42s, um, and I know that I guess from a little bit of doing homework on food plots and stuff mm -hmm. like that, but uh. Oh boy! Outside of that, I, I you know I see them and they kind of come and go. You got me on that one, Hunter, so I'll, I'll give you that. We got Tim Sadler on it pretty good. He was able to to name the conservation practices, but they're not always all CRP practices, and yeah. so that's one thing Neil and I joke about. Um, we're actually technically there's there's technically forty three. There's a few of them above forty three, but uh, they've definitely evolved. They've changed a little bit, um, even with like you mentioned it, the CP twenty five. Um, 
that's even changed where the CP25 is, yes, it's a CRP practice, it's more of our general practice, but that's been paired with our CP38, which is our pheasant yeah, recovery right. and um, different that. things like that, which has even changed um, just here in the last six months as far as how we need to be seeding the, spree, uh, seeding the seed and that sort of thing. 43, um, all right. And so, yeah. <laughs> It's going to keep evolving every year. Who knows, by the time I retire, there'll probably be over 100 of them. But um, that's what uh, makes our well, job so fun. Is it changes every day, just like your job. I mean, you never know what you're going to get into. Um, and I think what's the most important thing as far as our aspect as a conservation professional is get out there, recruit a good commissioner, make them aware of what their roles and responsibilities are. It's not a lot, but it's very important what you guys have to do. Um, and we take that very seriously have someone that you're you feel comfortable communicating with because if you have commissioners that you only see once a month and you're not able to go talk to them um if they don't have that flexibility where we do all the time we have a bunch of signatures we need we got new grants coming in whatever it may be hey brian are you around we can swing down we'll get that signature can you stop by or whatever i can see these guys almost every single week so (laughs) and it's it's extremely important because a lot of this stuff is is needed to be done in a timely manner and, and whatnot so um, make sure you guys get out there, do a good job of recruiting um, a good commissioner, just as important as it is when you're trying to find good interns and stuff like that. And then work with your, your co-ops and your agronomists and things like that. Understand where they're coming from. You don't always necessarily have to agree with it, yeah. but just be able to understand it so that when you're talking with that farmer, it's almost like you're the middleman there yeah. and be able to have that conversation and be able to um, show some knowledge because um, I've seen firsthand some folks who are very um, – maybe pushy you could say and they're yeah. trying to really push a program push an idea and those farmers shut down really really quick Absolutely. and then you're not getting anywhere if anything you're going backwards and so just trying to be understanding and know where they're coming from and what they maybe are thinking um is really important in all aspects so Great. um other than that do you got anything you need to no, no. I thanks, thanks for having me on. Appreciate Absolutely. this. This is pretty easy for me to swing on by. So Absolutely. I appreciate every, you guys. Time. Everyone we get on for guests are like, well, what, do I need to prepare? Do I need a script? It's uh, like my no. First there's, <laughs> there's nothing. We just go with what we think, and sometimes it's a little bit slow starting or a little bit jumpy. But um, at the end of the day, we know what we're trying to accomplish and, and trying oh, to put out a, a good product. And um, it's been a few weeks since we've had uh, a podcast rolling, so it's good to get back. We've been really, really busy with a lot of different things, um, and it looks like we're gonna get back on track and start publishing some episodes here and hopefully grow that audience. I know last we had looked, we had still been in three different countries, um, over 25 different states and stuff like that and, and getting lots and lots of views on different platforms. So it's pretty cool to see where it grow, goes and grows. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to keep plugging away. And as we work into the spring here, um, we're going to try to figure out some ideas and ways that we can maybe get out into the field with this. Um, hopefully put out that product that we're able to see those cover crops going. Uh, maybe we can get some drone footage from some folks to be able to put in here and Absolutely. stuff like that. So um, it's going to be a great spring season. Uh, get those boots cleaned off because they're going to start to get muddy and we're gonna get, and get ready here. for yeah. uh, a good uh, construction season, hopefully. So um, thanks again, everyone, for listening to uh, the Beyond the Dirt podcast.